Hi, and welcome to iloveedmontonrealestate.com. My name is Jason Scott, and with me today is my good friend, Gerhard Klan. Gerhard is a uh, appraiser with Northern Lights Appraisals. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, Gerhard, you have an interesting background. Uh, you were an athlete at one time doing biathlon, then you got into real estate investing, yep. and now you are an, a licensed appraiser. How did you become an appraiser? Yeah, it's a, well, it is a pretty interesting story. Got into real estate investing in the early 2000s with my brother, and that was actually through two different coaches who worked with us. And we were very lucky at that time uh, to be get involved. And I really enjoyed the numbers side of analyzing properties. In 2006, I retired from my full-time uh, position as an athlete on the Canadian team. And I was looking for something that would be a fit, something that would help my real estate investing. And I actually had an appraiser come to my house to appraise for an equity takeout to buy a rental property. And I started talking to him and that's basically how it, how it all started. And it's been a, it's been a wonderful fit. I, I love doing it. So, okay. So, you know, how does someone go about becoming an appraiser and what's your typical day like? Um, so to answer your first question, it's, it's actually quite a process of the real estate trades if you want to call them that it is the one that takes the longest it's at least two years of training and taking courses and apprenticing before you could become an appraiser however at that time throughout the whole process you can work apprentice essentially it's called a candidate member and uh, so it's kind of a mixture of coursework with field work which is actually a very good system I find for learning much like a co-op program at the at a university a typical day for an appraiser if we're talking on the residential side would be that we would we go and view the properties you know let's say you were going to do two or three appraisals in a day you would go and typically you'd try to see the properties I would like to go see them first thing in the morning go see them first now when we go into a property we're basically looking at it through a buyer's eyes so we're at a house for about a half hour and given the number of houses that we've seen I've probably been in about 10,000 properties now I have very systematized way of going through a house so I'm taking basically taking inventory the whole time I'm there. We're taking pictures, we're measuring, we're looking for the condition and quality of the property as we're there. The pictures help a lot. I mean, digital photography, you know, you can take as many pictures as you want now. So that really helps us as well. Then once we get back to the office, that's where really most of the the real appraisal work happens. Before, in the other part, when we're going into the house, we're not thinking about value at all at that point we're thinking about what's the condition and quality what's around the property what's the location like is there you know does it back into a busy road or does it have a nice view what are the properties around it like all those things so when we get back to the office then we're really breaking it down into what has sold what would it cost to build this property again you know what are the comparables and we make adjustments to those comparables and then we produce a report so it's a pretty in-depth process. And like I said, most of it is really the, the part in the office is probably at least two-thirds of the process, if not a lot more. Okay. What sort of scenarios are you called in for to do appraisals? Like, why do you get hired to do what it is you do? Yeah, anytime someone needs to know and exact the value of the property and have that be a value that could stand up in court. So an appraisal is actually a document that could be used in court. So we do definitely, of course, a bulk of appraisal work would be for loans, banks, that sort of thing if you're if you're buying a property or if you're, you're financing property. But then a lot of the other aspects that people may or may or not think about are divorce situations. Anytime there's, there's litigation and there's property or real estate involved and they need to know a current value or even a past 
value. Uh, also taxes, you know, implications for people if they if they change the use of the property from a home to a rental. You also have situations where, you know, if, if you're dealing with a probate of a will, uh, where CRA is involved, all, all those kinds of situations where they need to pinpoint sometimes to a specific date even the value of a property. And then, you know, your typical buying and selling. Somebody wants a second unbiased opinion of the value of a property or they're selling privately. I had one done. I bought my parents' house. Mm-hmm. So even I as an appraiser called up another appraiser and said, there is a family member purchasing a house from my parents. I did not say it was me because <laughs> I wanted it to be unbiased. Yeah. And so that's a perfect example of when, you know, it's good to just have someone who's totally unemotional about it come in and do their job right okay and so just out of curiosity was there a discrepancy or much of a discrepancy between the price and uh what the appraisal came in at? in terms of in terms of what i thought the value was yeah, the, yeah. yeah. you know what the the amazing part about that one is uh, and this is a really good thing to throw on here in, to, to, to discuss is that you know we actually came up with the exact same value that especially given where the property is located in all honesty, if we're if if you have two appraisals and they're within five percent of each other, that would be a margin of error that would be considered acceptable. Okay. So if you're talking a five hundred thousand dollar house, a twenty five thousand dollar margin of difference would be considered normal. Right. So that's important for people to realize that you know. Although we are very exact with what we do, what I see and what another appraiser sees, or even what I would see on a different day at the same house, might be different. Mm-hmm. And so and so just keeping in mind, because I've had people sometimes say, Well, the property was appraised, you know, for three fifty and now it's being appraised for three fifty two, you know, and they they're really worried about this. And it really that to me, that's exactly the same. Right. So Okay. Yeah. So in other words, the sale price was within spitting distance of what the appraised value value was in, in that particular case. Yeah. Well, in that case, we were using that appraisal to determine our price. Yeah. It was just that I happened to also do one for our purposes and okay. happened to, uh, we happened to be the same, but the way we got there was actually very different. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like when I looked through his report and his adjustments and how he, you know, it, it the methodology, everything wasn't, he didn't use exactly the same comparable, all that stuff. And that's, you know, that is the professional opinion of that appraiser. Right. Okay, and when you say comparables, what you mean is you're looking at sales of similar properties that have sold recently. Exactly. That's a really key note for people to understand is that appraisers, they might look at active listings. Um, It can give an indication of what's available. It can also talk about a price ceiling, like a buyer, if they could buy this, active listing, then why would they pay more than that? They likely wouldn't, right? For an identical property. But really we're using sales and we must use sales for banks. And so that's a really key point that a lot of people don't understand because usually they say, well, oh, I know this place is sold or is is listed, pardon me, on my block for 500. So my house must also be worth 500. What they don't know is that often that house will sell for can be close to the list price and it can be dramatically lower right or higher right so the list price is just that it's a list price right and they're not necessarily familiar with the square footage of the other house or the composition of the rooms etc quality right? all of the, yeah all of those things yeah yeah okay so 
you know, it's sort of mid to late January and people in Edmonton have just received their tax assessments from the city. What sort of can of worms does that open up for you? Well, in our business, um, I mean, we do get the odd, we do get some requests for sure for us to look at assessments and if they, if people feel they're too high, that's definitely some, that is an area that we do some work in and we're happy to help with that. The window of doing that, of course, is it's very limited. I would say as a general rule of thumb, most municipalities are pretty keen to this. They're pretty smart. I mean, they, the last thing they want to do, I think in Edmonton in 2009, possibly it was, we had a case where we were all, everything was over-assessed and that just created a huge nightmare for the city. So generally speaking, they try to be below what would be market value. Oh, is that right? I mean, that would be, if I had to guess, they, they, they're supposed to be within 10% of market value. Okay. Okay. If they were going to err on one side of that, they're going to try to err on the lower side, I would think. I mean, I'm not an assessor, but I, they use mass appraisal data and they just basically chunk it down and they basically want to say, hey, you know, if your house is worth a million dollars and I'm living in a $200,000 condo, you should pay relatively more tax than I should. Right. That's the whole purpose of it. And I think a lot of people get their heads, you know, they get worried about assessment and they're thinking that there's been a lot more go into this. Really, really that's, that's the purpose of it. And for what it is, it serves that purpose just fine. But just because your assessment says your house is, say, 350000 or 400000 it does not mean... That's where your house is going to sell at. Absolutely not. First of all, it's based upon the previous July's data. Okay. okay. Second of all, they have not been in your house. They don't know what the condition is. Like I said, it's a very relative. And that's why I'm hesitant to say that it's under because it every single property is different. We find that because part of what we do in the form reports for appraisals, we have to report the assessed value. So we do find that there... There are times where we could we see that yeah it's been it has been over assessed but it does that really concern us no because we we're looking at the sales and we're being much more specific than the assessment was again keeping in mind that the city is just I mean they're just trying to be really relative and very very gross in their look at the house itself to say okay if this one's five hundred and that one's three hundred thousand well that one's going to pay more tax right okay. Fair enough. So within the last few weeks, the local real estate board had a forecast on where they see the market going. Mm -hmm. You were at that forecast. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And so what was the general consensus out of that? I mean, generally a stable look at the overall health of housing. Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely my, you know, from what I've been seeing, I mean, our, our inventory has been the constant concern. It's going on 18, more than 18 months. It's been a concern. And to be honest, I've been surprised we haven't seen more of a price drop than we have. We've mm -hmm. actually seen very stable house pricing. To their credit, I think a lot of builders and CMHC did show that in some of their stats, how the builders really tailed off and really have listened to the inventory they they haven't overbuilt in 2008 9 we actually had a much bigger problem that way mm -hmm. so absorption of new homes hasn't been as big of an issue it appears so in terms of forecast i mean i think as long as oil stays at you know 50 plus dollars per barrel as long as we can keep relative steady demand which we have kept i think we're still going to continue to see this environment i mean we have really low interest rates 
even with you know what's going on, uh, even if they go up a little bit, they're low. Right. right, but the qualifying rule change, my personal opinion is that's going to have a major impact. It'll really impact higher priced houses yes. in terms of knocking pricing down for those because fewer people will be able to afford them. I personally think your three to four hundred thousand dollar property may hold its own or go up in value because there'll right. be more demand. Yeah, and condos like which have been condos have really not gone anywhere over the last five years. It's been a very stable market, quite a bit of inventory, and that product might actually see a lift you know each it's hard to talk about the market as a whole because there are going to be some winners and some losers within that market and uh, there are there's a lot of moving parts the mortgage rules like you mentioned that's a really good point on top of everything else that's been churning around and happening in our economy mm-hmm. you know a lot of capital there are some big projects that are coming to an end mm-hmm that's a bit of a concern too i think edmonton wise uh, the edmonton economist was talking about that and he was saying that we're we're going to see some negative news in the first part of this year for edmonton's economy right but he actually said like you have to you're going to have to peel back the onion a bit that was john rose and that news actually isn't it, because there's still people moving here our unemployment rate is going to be higher, but our employment rate is actually fine, just fine. Right. So unemployment takes into consideration people who have just moved here and don't have a job yet. And that, right. that can skew stats. So he's thinking that second half of the year for Edmonton is going to look better you know, in the papers and whatnot. So he's actually said, watch for that negative news in the first half. Right. And don't be too scared by it. Right. Okay. So, you know, let's put your investor hat on now for a second. If you were a landlord looking to buy, you know, more rental properties, do you think it makes sense to go forward now or not? I think that for when it comes to landlords and when it comes to investing, I think the key is not trying to time any market. The reality is that you know, unless you're a flipper and that's not something I, I have experience in, but you know, our whole thing has always been buy and hold and buy long-term hold. So in that way, I think that it is a good environment to buy in because of some of the things we've talked about. We've talked about, you know, interest rates being low. There's a lot of supply. So in terms of it's a buyer's market, you can negotiate terms, hopefully you can potentially even, you know, some of the old school, Stuff that we all dreamed about as investors, you know, vendor take backs and all this kind of stuff. Well, this might be an environment where you might find some of those deals. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can speak a little bit more to to some of the how the lenders are perceiving. I've heard that they're perceiving investment properties a little bit as a riskier Absolutely. gamble right now. Yep. So that's a bit of a that's a that's a challenge. But again, that means there's less of a pool of buyers. That are going to qualify. So that means that, I mean, I do think it is a it is a good time to buy if you're thinking about investing, because it's better to start now yep. than wait two years. Because you don't know. I mean, we, honest, in all honesty, we spend our time trying to forecast. No one knows where the market's going. Yeah. And uh, the reality is that as long as you're not selling in two years, then what what does it really matter? It's not you know it's not going to be a dramatic increase either way. To probably yeah. right. Probably. So in that way, I mean, if you're looking towards your future, you buy it, you make sure it's cash flowing, and then you start to get your mortgage paid on and you're two years into, right, 25 years or 30 years of your amortization. And that really, at the end of the day, you're going to own that asset. So Yeah, for sure. So when you're doing appraisals, I mean, there's everyone has expectations on you, right? So let's say it's a purchase and the purchase price is 350. Well, 
the lender needs at least 350 on the appraisal. So you're getting pressure from the buyer, from, well, not directly necessarily from the buyer, but from the lender, from the mortgage broker, et cetera. How do you deal with those sort of competing interests? It's really challenging in that, you know, the appraiser really needs to remain unbiased. And that is, I would say, one of the biggest challenges in our industry. And it's one of the reasons why there was a collapse in the states and it really there was a lot of pressure being put on appraisers and a lot of them were bending and uh, it is challenging I will say I, I can personally say that I know that we've lost clients because you know we stood our ground on a certain deal let's say and said I'm sorry but I don't see that now so that being said if you think about it if you're the buyer and you have someone who's unbiased and they're coming in and they're saying okay I I hear that you offered 350 but listen, here's all the evidence that I'm seeing, and I really think it's only worth 320 Yeah. First of all, I'll tell you that that makes us sweat because we're saying, okay, what are we missing? Right. Okay. What did the buyer see that I'm missing? So then we're making phone calls and going, okay, what am I missing? Oh, are they? Oh, in some cases, there's something, right? Oh, they... They were including a, a garage that doesn't exist yet, or they were going to finish the basement or there's something. So there could be an aspect of the deal we missed. There could be something about the property that we, we just happened to miss. I mean, you know, we're, we're only human. So on top of that, then, so we have, to, we have to take that first step and say, okay, what did we miss anything? If we didn't miss something, as a prudent buyer, I think that you would have to look at it or you should look at it and say, well, wait a minute. If someone else is coming back and saying it's only a three twenty, why the heck would I want to pay three fifty? <laughs> right. Yes. Especially if in six months I lose my job or I get transferred to Vancouver or whatever, yeah. and now I have to sell that property, and most likely it's going to sell for three twenty. So even if there's, you know, we all get an emotional attachment, and I'm no different, even though I'm an appraiser, and that is exactly why I had someone come and appraise my parents' house before we bought it, because real estate, you know, we. Even the most calculated person buys a home with emotion more than they do with sense, with with real sense. And you you walk into that house and you feel like this is the one. What are they asking? Okay, let's, you know, let's do it. And so in those cases, I really think that it's really up to all of the professionals to say, okay, if this is really what the appraisal came back at, is there an opportunity to renegotiate? Right. In this market, I would argue, yeah, you have a really good opportunity to renegotiate that price. Yeah. Do you get different pressures if it's a refinance situation? So as an example, you know, I've got a client, they need to pay out debt. We need to get a certain amount of equity out of that property to pay off the debt or to make the debt servicing work in any sense of the, the deal, right? Yeah, we do. I mean, we get we, we have to be very careful about that as appraisers. One of the pillars of appraisal is that we are not to take an assignment based on a predetermined outcome. So that is in all of the compliance. That's one of the first things, you know, as an appraiser, we're supposed to be unbiased. Yet we're supposed to analyze all known offers and sales, right? So really, if a bank is coming, I'm going back to purchase for for a moment here. But if the bank is coming to me saying, they're basically saying, hey, is this would most people pay 350? Let's use that example, 350 for this property or not, right? That's what they're asking. Now, in the refinance situation, you come to a really interesting point, and that is the deal won't work unless it's at X amount. Yes, it's very a very difficult situation for us because again, we need to we're the ones who the lender is looking to 
to say, okay, if I get stuck with this property, what's it worth? What's it going to sell for? Right. I don't care what it sold for three years ago. I don't care what, you know, I want to know what it's worth right now. What would it sell for right now in today's market? Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I mean, we, we hear the story, right, from the homeowner when we're there, et cetera. And it can be challenging. But at the end of the day, we have to do our job because that that's what we're being paid to do. Right. And unfortunately, <laughs> you run into the problem that a lot of realtors will run into when they're trying to get a listing in that, you know, presumably everyone thinks their house is worth more than it actually is. Yeah. I mean, that certainly does happen. It happens on both sides. I think sometimes, you know, it's worth less or more than people thought. But certainly I have to say that I think we're all, again, we're all kind of biased and think that our house is the nicest house in the block. So yeah, that does happen. Okay, so Gerhardt, you must see some interesting things going into some 10,000-odd houses. What are some of the more interesting things you've seen over the course of your career? Yeah, for sure. I, I Tops on my list. Definitely, I have really been blessed with the opportunity to appraise some of the most expensive homes in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, it's funny because when we got these, several times when we got these requests, they couldn't find an appraiser to do it. No one wanted to touch these things. Why? A lot of high-end homes don't sell on MLS. So there's a lack of data. There's also a risk. I mean, if I'm appraising a house for $8 million, if I make a mistake, there's a perceived risk by appraisers that, you know, I mean, a 10% mistake, let's say, would be... 800 grand. 800 grand, right? So my risk is much higher than if I'm appraising a $200,000 condo. And that's true. But for me, it's an opportunity. And I'm really glad that I took the opportunity about five years ago. I did my first real, you know, these are the, you know, when Edmonton, City of Edmonton put in the journal, they always have this thing once a year, the top 10 houses. They, they use assessed values because it's public information. So I think I've appraised, I think, five of those now. It's just, it's incredible to go into these properties. I mean, some of them are, when they were built, $1,000 a square foot, if you can imagine. And what I like about doing them is that because it is such a, a unique entity, you have to do a lot of research. But when you do the research, you learn stuff, right? So, uh, you know, getting to connect with those builders and find out like, okay, this is what they're, this is how they would charge. And then seeing what this property would sell for in the open market and see, I mean, it's just a totally different animal than you'd find in your four to $500,000 range. Right, okay. The second one I did was, I did this amazing house that had only, it was a historic house, has only ever been owned by three people. So the people who owned it now had owned, had, it was from, I think it was originally built about 1905 or something. So wow. over a hundred years old. Yeah. And, and this, only three families. Oh, this, yeah, people living there were the third ever owners. Okay. All of the furniture was had been passed through those owners. I mean, all of it. I mean, most of it. Yeah. Just, I mean, absolutely fabulous. Like so, walking into, you know, a time 18, 19th century England. I mean, that's, you know, like the Downton Abbey, like that sort of like that show, like that's what it was like. I mean, all the features of the original home, if you want to buzz down to the servants' quarters, <laughs> separate stairwells, you know. And again, like, you know, other people didn't want to do that. And I just go, well, that's just, I mean, it's amazing that I got to be in that property. Right. Yeah. Any any horror shows? Yeah, from time to time. Uh, there are definitely some properties that we've been in where you might want to burn your socks afterwards. But, you know, really at the end of the day, we have to look beyond that. 
Right. We have to look at the house as it would be in a saleable condition. So, you know, people get worried about my house isn't perfect or whatever in terms of the cleanliness. They don't have to worry about right. that. that. The bed doesn't have to be made. No, and, no. Okay. A good appraiser should be looking beyond that. So, Gerhardt, you're licensed to do appraisals where? In Alberta or throughout the country? Okay, so yeah, I'm a member of one of the national associations, mm-hmm. but in Alberta, in specifically, we also have to be licensed by the Real Estate Council of Alberta. Okay, just so like that's realtors just like, and mortgage brokers okay, do. Great. So, if you had, say, a family member who was buying a home in Toronto or Vancouver, and so you're not able to do the appraisal, how would you recommend they go? about finding a good quality appraiser? I would definitely, first of all, I mean, you could you could start with word of mouth. You could certainly ask a realtor that you know, et cetera. So that, that can be a good source. I like to look at someone's, I would like to look at their website. I'd like to see how involved they are in the market. You know, how much information are they giving you as the client? Are they... Do they seem knowledgeable about things? Are they giving you market updates? Do they, uh, to me, that really shows if they're up on their game, if they're keeping in check with things, and if they're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would kind of be looking for there. If I always like word of mouth. So, I mean, if there's testimonials even or Google reviews about them, I would read those. That would be helpful. You can also definitely, certainly check with authorities like... You could definitely call the association as well, like a national association or RECA in Alberta. You could call them mm-hmm. or you can even check on their website and see, is this person currently licensed? Mm-hmm. What's the typical cost for an appraisal? Um, our base price is $275, $275 in the city. You know, and it really depends. I mean, if it's going to be more work, some of the houses we talked about, the, the, the mansions, higher price. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously that was that was a lot higher than that or commercial properties or agricultural or rural properties. You know, I guess what it comes down to is you're having someone value your typically your most valued asset. I guess the question is, do you want the cheapest person doing that? Right. For me, Probably not. I mean, we're, we're kind of priced in the middle of things. I wouldn't I wouldn't say we're the highest. We're certainly not the lowest. But the, you want to make sure you're getting a level of care and that knowledge that is going to give you the outcome you want. Because price shopping, like the old adage, you get what you pay for, but you're getting someone to value something. You want them to put in the time and effort, not just, you know do a half job for you. And and I think a lot of people don't realize that the ultimate product is a document that is defendable in court. So it's a serious document. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. So one of the things that I often run into with my clients is, you know, they're buying a place or refinancing, an appraisal is needed. They pay for it, but they don't own the appraisal. The lender does. Why is that? How is that? Yeah, that really comes down to so the client and in the bank's cases it's basically that that's because the bank wants to own and they want to own the rights to that appraisal because essentially if someone defaults on the loan they want to have full rights to be able to sue the appraiser later. In a nutshell, that's what it is. So people misunderstand and think that well because I paid for it it's mine. No. How it works is you are going to ABC Bank 
And in order to make the loan with ABC Bank, they're saying to you, you need to pay for an appraisal to see if you have the equity or if this is worth it. So they're basically just passing on that cost to the owner. But it doesn't mean that the owner owns that product, just like just like the legal services or whatever. So the banks, that's, and to be honest, there is no bank that is different from that. In some cases, you can actually get a copy of it, but you will notice that the homeowner is never the client. They are the applicant. That's the way the banks have created the rules. Right. Now, in a divorce situation, though, when you're trying to establish right. a value, would the clients end up with copies of the appraisals? Yes, absolutely. Basically, one of the first steps when an appraiser is starting the whole process is to determine what the purpose of the appraisal is. So if the d- purpose was matrimonial settlement and the client was the homeowner, then that's the client. So right. now I have a relationship with that client. I can talk to the client the homeowner, let's call them the homeowner, yeah. um, about the appraisal in depth. Right. However, if it, if the bank is the client and the homeowner is the applicant, I actually can't even speak to the homeowner about the report. There's actually, I have a fiduciary duty to my client not to. Right. And your client is the bank. The client is the bank. Okay. And that is very misunderstood. And it makes, it's exacerbated by the fact that often the bank asks the homeowner to pay for it. And most things you pay for, you won't. So that's why common sense doesn't really apply in this case. It's a bit of a right. different scenario. Right. I guess you could make the comparison that's like buying a book. You buy the book, but you don't own the intellectual property that the author owns. Same idea, right? Sure. Maybe not a perfect example, but... Yeah, and I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, it's uh, basically the bank is saying, okay, prove to me that you have this equity. Right. And in order to prove that, you're going to hire an appraiser and you're going to have to pay for them. Yeah. And if you don't have the equity or we don't like something about it, then we're going to decline it. Yeah. They have that. That's the way the banks have kind of set it up and they have that right to do that because it's, you know, free market. So they can kind of do what they want that way. Yeah. So. Okay. Fair enough. Gerhard, do you have any other thoughts or comments that you think people should know about appraisals and what's going on in Edmonton? Um, I definitely, I mean, if they want to check out and sign up for our web updates, I do, uh, I do an update every month. And so if they just go to northernlightsappraisals.ca, you can sign up for that. It's free. We just send you a little email once a month and it's got a link to a video or you can read it if you're so inclined. That just, I like to just take an unbiased look at the market because I do feel like if you listen to the headlines too much, it's going to drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. You really have to watch what is in the news a couple of years ago, they were talking about how house prices had gone up 10%. That's what the headline said. And the whole article was talking about assessments. That's it. It was about assessed values in the city. It had nothing to do with actual real estate data. It was so misleading. And yet it was right on the front page of the paper. That's the kind of stuff that's out there. And then, you know, so I get the question from my in-laws or my parents or my wife or whoever. You know, what does this mean? So I would just recommend just... Always reading the full article and, yeah, try to get some unbiased news. So let's say I want to sell my house. And typically what people will do when they do that is talk to one or two realtors. Realtors come in and give them a CMA, a comparative market analysis of what the property is worth. How does a CMA compare to an appraisal? It's difficult for me to see, to generalize. What what I'll say is this. A CMA is a a document that a realtor prepares for someone 
to in order to sell their house. Now they're not bound to that document in any way. They could come and say it's worth 500 or 600. I mean, it's their best opinion on it. The difference between that and appraisal is when I've rubber stamped it and said, and I've signed it and I've said, I'm done. This is what I think the value is. Now I'm liable for that. So there is a difference that way in terms of my duty to the client, if you will. Mm-hmm. You can't hold an appra- uh, a realtor accountable for that. That it's, it's not that kind of document. It's for sale purposes only. Mm-hmm. I would say that an experienced realtor and an appraiser, I mean, we have access to the same data. So often we should be in the same ballpark, but a, a realtor has to wear a lot of hats. Okay. They have to take a buyer from, from the process of meeting with them, understanding the home, selling the home, all the legal documents on top of that, coordinating everything that's going on with the property. And valuation is just one of the many things a realtor does. And to be completely honest, I actually know quite a few realtors who are excellent realtors and valuation might not be their strength. Right. So, you know, I would just caution people in that way. And for some of those realtors, we actually do their, we do the appraisal. They just say, listen, you're good at this. I'm good at all the other things. Why don't you do it? Right. So the realtor will get you to do an appraisal yeah. in preparation for a listing presentation. That's right. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. And, you know, and we're, that's starting to gain some traction. And because there, some people feel like, and the, you know, maybe you've experienced this. You're going to list your house and you get three CMAs done and they're not all similar. One's at, you know, 600,000, one's at 500,000, one's at 525. Well, what do you do now? Yeah. That's a huge range in value. And, and highest isn't necessarily best or accurate. Well, not at all. I mean, yeah. if you list your house much above what it should sell for, actually the studies show it will sell for less in the end right. because it will be exposed to the market longer and buyers who would have been interested move on. And they actually, there's a stigmatization that happens to the property. So it's really important for people to just understand that. And like I said, I mean, by no means am I, I saying that CMA isn't valid. You know, it is that realtor's opinion and their best, they've done their research, but they can't be held accountable for it. And like I said, just, they could be a fantastic salesperson and valuation might not be one of their strengths. Right. So for, if I'm selling a house for the sake of the 275 or $300 or whatever the the final price tag is, it makes sense to get an appraisal done prior to listing the house. There's a lot of advantages to it for sure. You know, one thing is as well is it can be presented to another side in negotiation to say, hey, look at this. This is, you know, we had this appraised. This is the value. It should help in the whole process in just getting everyone's expectations on the right page. And presumably maybe get a, a more accurate or maybe more satisfactory final selling price. Yeah, I mean, perfect example is a friend of mine. This was in 2009 challenging time to sell real estate in Edmonton. It was the down market. He was selling in the fall. Okay. So it was going into the winter. So what do you think? You know, and so we did an appraisal of the home and said, well, it should 385, probably right in that range, anywhere between 380 and 390 was seemed very reasonable. And so he listed it at three, at 390, 389.9. Everything else was listed above 400. 
mm-hmm. even though they were all original, like they all ended up selling in the 380. This was in Terwilliger, so there was lots of lots of lots sale of options, data. Yeah. They're very similar houses. Yeah. So even in that competitive market, he sold his house in under two weeks. He actually had multiple offers because it looked like a steal of a deal because all the active listings were above 400 and his was at 389.9. So he actually sold it for over list. Yeah. But he actually got more. I actually said to him, listen, I would be expecting, you know, we're on the down here going into the winter. Like if you get 380, this is good. Yeah. That's just how the psychology works. So, yeah. yeah. So there's an argument uh, to be made for being a little little under the the other listings especially if we're in a softer market i yeah i mean i think the realtor this is just again something i've noticed the realtors who price the price the product very close to what it's actually worth and then don't really negotiate much Mm -hmm. just say no it's i mean it looks everyone's got access to the active listings they don't have access to what it actually sold for Mm -hmm. so the property looks like it's steel right so cool Okay, Gerhardt, well, thank you very much for uh, your time and your expertise and uh, looking forward to chatting with you in the future. Thanks very much, Jason.